This is Neon Radio, episode 182, with the Align Method Master, Aaron Alexander. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, party people? We're back for another episode of Neon Radio. This is your host, Nick Onkin, and today I am bringing to you another amazing guest. His name is Aaron Alexander. He is the founder of The Align Method, all about really bringing movement and all things around that into your life in just a natural, organic way, but how movement really keeps your body, keeps your body flowing and keeps your body healthy and keeps all these different things, which we dive into on today's podcast. We talk about so many different things from consciousness to death to to movement to integrating exercise into your daily just practice, not even necessarily being all about being a gym rat, but you know, just how you can integrate it so easily into your life, even if it's just getting up from your desk and standing and doing certain stretches. And we talk about hanging, hanging from like a, say like a pull-up bar or something like that, where it helps stretch out your, it stretches your body out. It, it, it's very healing. So things like that, all kinds of little tips and tricks. He just came out with a new book called uh, The Align Method, Five Movement Principles for a Stronger Body and a Sharper Mind and Stress-Proof Life. All this stuff and if uh, you're an entrepreneur out there, I mean, anybody really, but the stress of an entrepreneur's life, the ups and downs, the the unknowns and all the different things that come along with that, you get accumulative stress throughout your life, throughout the day, all the time, I do. And it's, it's I don't even really realize how much uh, stress is accumulated and how much compounds from that. I've been doing this for 20 years now and it just seems normal to me, but it's good to create awareness around it so that uh, you can become the better version of yourselves. You can find the tools that help you relieve stress. I mean, stress is the biggest killer. Stress is the thing that sickness comes from. And eventually really bad sicknesses like cancer and things like that can come through subconscious stress levels in your body. And if we can learn and create tools to alleviate that, that is a huge, huge thing in our own well-being. So that's what we talk about today. And I, you know, on this podcast, especially coming into this new season of life, 2020, clearer vision, I'm really wanting to explore the intersect between consciousness, creativity, and culture, the things that bring those together and and spreading ideas of of consciousness and through culture and, and through creativity, being your full creative self at all times and bringing that into your everyday life and how can you integrate all three of those things and where do those intersect so i'm going to bring to you more guests in that alignment coming up and and we'll just explore these things together and uh create and present new ideas so with that you'll find the show notes for this over at neonradio.com ep182 anything that we mentioned will be listed there as well. And uh, if you haven't done so already, go over to the quiz over at neonlife.com slash quiz. And neon is spelled N-I-O-N. 
It's actually the first two letters of my first and last name. But pronounce Neon because it's all about living a life of color. So go over to neonlife.com slash quiz. Take the 10-question quiz, and we'll serve you up some free content to help you out with your where you're at in your creative journey or your just life journey in general. But creativity is a piece of life, whether you are a fine artist or have nothing to do with fine art. The idea is that everyone is a creative. Everyone is creative. Everyone creates. Everyone has the chance to create even if it's themselves. Last week's episode was never stop creating yourself. And we creativity is a, a choice to create ourselves. And here we want to bring some tools. And today's podcast, we talk about just that with Aaron Alexander here Without further ado, I bring you the one, the only, Mr. Aaron Alexander. What's up, everyone? Today we have Aaron Alexander. Mm. That's like almost like one of those it means I'm a serial killer. I think exactly. Two first names. <laughs> it's like those like like the speech tests. The speech test. <laughs> Aaron Alexander. Say yeah. five times fast. Testy, testy, testy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> nice so, yeah, yeah. I'm stoked to have you on the show because you know you're you're all about alignment from body, mind, and soul, and um, that's a lot about what we're what I want to like, kind of explore in my life and on the podcast and share with a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I know you just came out with a book called The Align Method. That's correct. That is correct. Let's just chat a little bit about, like, what is The Align Method, or like, the overview, and then we'll just kind of bob and weave from there. Yeah. Well, so where The Align Method, essentially what The Align Method is, is it's a, a guide for people to go outside of the typical norm of fitness being something that you do in a gym and instead giving people the, the, the manual on how we can start to become fitness and become wellness and mm. become yoga, become dance, become creativity. You know, and so we don't need to isolate or contain the practice of taking care of our bodies to being a thing that we have to drive 30 minutes to and pay a membership for but we've never received that education growing up. And the reason we never received that education is because the people teaching us never received that education either. Yeah. Because the people teaching them, for the most part, are people selling them stuff. Yeah. You know, and so if you're a person that needs to seek out in order to be healed and be well, yeah. then your credit card is very valuable to people selling you things. Yeah. But if you're a person that's like, hold on, like this park and this tree and you know, the way that I'm sitting right now or not sitting, or the water that I'm drinking, or the, you know, all these seemingly subtle kind of like minutiae of details yeah. actually aggregate to be who we are. Mm. And so I created a manual of sorts for people to start to be able to gather all that extra energy that we're kind of just like foregoing. Yeah. And how do we like put that back into our cup mm. in the form of movement in this case. But we go into like the way that our senses affect our physiology and we get into body language and we get into oh, a lot wow. of different wormholes of movement. Senses. So tell me a little bit more about how senses uh, affect the physiology. Well, so one of the chapters is all about sight. You know, and so over 90% of adolescents in China are myopic, you know, nearsighted. Mm -hmm. uh, that number's like going just 
gradually going up in you know every Western culture that's essentially staring into screens and spending lots of time indoors. Mm -hmm. So our eyes, in order for them to actually, when you're looking out into the distance, in order for you to be able to see that image, mm -hmm. you literally need to bend the shape of the lens of your eyes. So you contract these muscles called the ciliary muscles oh. when you are looking at something close. So it's literally to look at this, you know, right now we're looking at the, the recording mechanisms and the table and such, when we're looking up close, yeah. We need to contract those lenses in order to refract that light, essentially like bending that light. When you look out into the distance, that image can come in more straight on and you can receive that image without creating any kind of a, a muscular contraction in your eyes. Uh -huh. When you create that contraction in your eyes, it's literally sending a signal of contraction through the rest of your nervous system, sending you the message that it's time to focus and it's time to kind of release like the cortisol and all the stress hormones to kind of put you in more of like executive function go. Huh. When you go into more of that panoramic vision and you look out over the ocean or over the mountains or even just let your vision kind of glaze over while you're in a, in a room, you'll kind of have this sensation of like, ah, wow, it's chilling. You know, and so the opposite will happen when you go really myopically focused. And so you can almost play your seemingly autonomic nervous system. Autonomic means you don't have control of it, but in fact you mm -hmm. do completely have control of it in large part by just augmenting the way that you use your eyes. And then, you know, we can keep going into other senses too. Well, you know, what's interesting is that Joe Dispenza talks a lot about this in meditation where you're using convergent focus and divergent diver, focus, yeah. but like as you're meditating, so like you're meditating on the narrow focus or like the broader like quantum field and when you kind of pass into that broader quantum field, you're you are, you're relaxing, you're surrendering, you're like moving off into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the way that you practice your perception from a, a literal visual perspective, that will trickle into the way that you perceive life in general and the way that people perceive you. Hmm. you know, so if you look at like, look at like the way that a shark moves through the ocean, it's very myopically focused, yeah. hard trend, like, you know, hard angles, like, Oof. it's like, oh my God, it's like dangerous. It's like, makes me uncomfortable <laughs> just to be around. Yeah. You know, compare that to like, maybe like a bunny rabbit, you know, bunny rabbit's just like, you know, eating grass and kind of through around, it's kind of taking it all in, and, you know, like the way that we look, it literally informs the way that we think and the way that we show up in the world. So if you're a really you know, like objective-based, to-do list, get shit done, what's next yeah. type person, always looking for what's next. Yeah. Um, you probably won't be the person that is just like spacing out during a meeting, you know, <laughs> or like looking off into the trees while, you know, people are having a conversation. You're like looking down at your phone, you're getting onto your to-do list, you're taking notes, you're you have yeah. another cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, so, and then that affects the way that people perceive you, which creates this feedback loop right. which reaffirms your identity mm. you know, and so we can start to trickle in and kind of speak into who we are as, as, as people how we show up in the world through lots of things we're talking about vision right now but that's just one of the one of the potential details yeah it's kind of fun well yeah and it's also a reflection of the internal thought process totally happening within yes yeah, so it's like chicken or the egg yeah you know and what's so in your 
with what you teach, what's what's the method in terms of, is it like creating a balance between the two, is it? Yeah, so there's no, like the method is something that the publishers demanded. Like the first thing that I do in the, the first, in the introduction of the book is kind of shit on method, kind of more like Bruce Lee perspective of like you can't contain a single methodology until, until yeah. you know, this is just how you operate in life. Yeah. What the book is, is it's a, it's a, a collection of different ideas Got and it. philosophies all wrapped up into you know helping hopefully plant a seed into people's lives of the way that they inhabit themselves. Yeah. You know, so the way that I teach the method is I don't really. I don't really like teach like, okay, here's the method. It's more one, leading by example is a big thing. You know, and so an example would be with like working, you know, while you're on your computer, a, a kind of like a method, which I'm just thinking is like basic guidelines, is maybe put your computer near a window. You know, so when you're editing photos or what have you, make it so that you can regularly have those eye breaks by looking out into the distance. And also you can start to play with your location of your of your butt. You know, are you sitting on the ground? Are you sitting on a chair? Are you standing? Yeah. All of that will you're you know, you're under construction while you're working on those photos. You know, so something you could do potentially would be like get a really comfy rug like we have here. You could get like some floor cushions or like some Moroccan poofs. We talked about you being in Morocco. You yeah. know, and you could do what people in Morocco are doing right now and people are, that are doing in various different cultures that have healthy hips and healthy knees and you know, minimal <laughs> pelvic floor dysfunction and all that stuff. Yeah. And just take your body through that full range of motion and getting down to the ground. Huh. You know, so is that a method or is those basic guidelines to follow or whatever? It's kind of just like semantics. But those would be basic ways to start to create huge impact on the health of a person's body and the energy and the creativity and the way that they think yeah. and the longevity of their body just through making these like seemingly you know really simple close to free momentary subtle shifts yeah and so that's that i think that's like what the method is is like how do we pay greater attention to what's happening in this little finite moment right 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 as opposed to just like getting <laughs> shit done and just hoping our you know our, our body and our health kind of keeps up yeah 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 i it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned like sitting and things like that like i've i've always maybe can give me an idea but have you ever done like a 10-day vipassana yeah yeah, I think about redoing it like all the time. How do you sit like that without a like? I have to have like a. I like to have like a. You just gotta rest. say Anicca more. And what is that? Anicca, Anicca, Anicca. That's why. Have you done one? No. Oh, okay. I thought you did one. <laughs> no. I was like, how do you not know what Anicca that's, means? That's the thing that I'm like, <laughs> yeah. so like, oh, I don't know if I could sit like that for Dude, ten Anicca, days yeah. straight. Uh, so Anicca means not attachment. So so I did one ten day vipassana, which is a, a, an interesting experience. It's it's. Uh, I recommend everybody try it personally yeah if you're like you know like a seeker quote uh, the little hashtag quotation thing but it's just the fact that that exists i think is to not take advantage of that is to me is like insane the fact that that exists is unbelievable yeah. like it's totally donation based at the end it's like pay whatever you want and they take care of you and they give you a place to stay and it's like it's, i mean it's a really great thing and during that time i had experienced various different moments where I had extreme pain in my, like, say my hip or my spine or my shoulder or what have you. There's a particular one in my hip. Mm. Sitting there, you know, you wake up at 4.30 in the morning for people who don't have Vipassanas. It's a 10-day silent, noble silence meditation, so you can't look at it at each other. 
Uh, you don't have a cell phone, you have no pen or notes or anything. You literally just do these hour-long meditations inside this meditation hall. And then you go and like take a little walk or like take a break inside your room where you essentially like are supposed to go meditate. And then you come back and you do another hour meditation. You just do that all the way throughout the whole entire day. Oh wow. And then you go to sleep and you wake up and do it all over again. It's very fascinating. But during that time, I kind of had a super similar belief system of like, I don't know if this is like healthy, like I'm like a fitness guy, like I don't know if this is gonna be good. And then it totally changed my whole perspective of pain because I watched it transform in the process of the sit or mm -hmm. the sits. So there's moments literally where I felt like my hip was on fire. I thought I was gonna have to like get hip surgery afterwards. It was like, it felt like there was a hot searing, you know, spike like going into my, my acetabulum. Yeah. Which is like the, the joint. Um, and I'm like, this is like bad. You know, this is not good. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Anicha, 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 whatever. And then literally in that sit, if I just sat with it long enough, which in this case was probably like 40 minutes of just like, oh my God. By the end of that, all of a sudden, I felt this, it almost felt as though like the, the, the hot searing pain, it became like cold. And then it felt as though literally it was like a UFO like orb of sorts that like, oh. like moved. I was like observing it move and it goes like over into my groin. And then it starts going up my spine. Like literally like I'm watching this cold orb move up through my spine. And then it goes, it goes up, 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 up. And then it goes into my shoulder. Shoulders had a bunch of uh, various like injuries in the past. Uh, there was a more recent injury there before. And then it got stuck in the shoulder. So it goes hot, searing pain, hip, up the spine, and then tries to move through the shoulder, and then it goes, stops in the shoulder, and now that exact same pain that I had in my hip is now in my left shoulder. Whoa. And I'm not high, I'm like as lucid as it ever possibly could be. I was sleeping fine, you know, this is just, I was very, you know, I was yeah. in a great state to be observing something at that point. And so that, their perspective of pain, they would refer to it as like a samskara, Mm -hmm. which samskara means impression in Sanskrit. Yeah. And so we experience these various different impressions throughout our lives and it becomes a samskara, yeah. like a stuck impression when we don't know how to process that in the, in the moment. Mm -hmm. yes, that's like a potential definition of, of trauma. Doing more quotations because mm. uh, it's like another overused word in, in like Venice, you know, <laughs> LA culture, whatever, my trauma, my trauma. Um, <laughs> my trauma. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's got more trauma than me, man. Oh my God, so, so true though. What's a way that we seek to use like NLP talk, like Tony Robbins kind of stuff, that's like our significance. Yeah. You know, so if we can be significant, it's like, oh, I'm not the best golfer, or I'm not the wealthiest, or the strongest, or the prettiest, but my trauma is worse than anybody's. <laughs> Yeah. So you can like hang on to that trauma. I mean, you, you don't you know want to lose you, that. I mean, you know who takes the, the cream of the crop on that one is David uh, Goggins, that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. What if life was not so hard? You know, be, be, his whole brand would, would collapse. <laughs> I mean, at this point, he's transcended that. I think he's actually, he'd be quite fine at this point. He's, yeah. he's quite, he could go any direction he would want. But yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah. And so you can use, leverage that situation that at the time, a definition for trauma that I got from a friend called Sean Korn, who's like a yogi person. Do you know Sean? You met her? Yeah. She's great. Uh, I recently did a podcast with her, and so oh, I, nice. got, I got the, the definition from her of trauma being an experience that you didn't have the resources or know-how or capacity to be able to 
process and come to acceptance of. Mm. And then so, if, yeah. you know, so trauma is like, there's no set quantifiable, measurable, okay, that's a trauma right there. Right. There's experience, and then there's your interpretation of the experience, yep. and then what comes of that interpretation is, is actually you know, what matters. Yeah, and like so, how you react to it, how you let that affect you kind mm -hmm. of thing. So if you can perceive your trauma as being like a miracle, you know, if it weren't for that time that this or that happened, then I wouldn't be who I am now. And I can truly like look back and come to terms and thank that trauma. Mm -hmm. Then it's not trauma anymore. It loses all its power. Right. Yeah. And there's, cause there's no resistance. There's no resistance. And the resistance it. is what like gets trapped. I was talking with somebody today, again, on a podcast about, uh, loving the parts. I know we're kind of going astray, but loving the parts. She was talking about how She's talking about some part of herself that she doesn't like. It was like some competitive thing or something like that. And, and essentially referring to it as being like some compensatory pattern that she created since being a little kid. And, and she was like kind of talking, talking shit on her pattern. You know, like, oh, it's stupid, immature pattern. And there was like a, a moment of a reframe of sorts of like that pattern allowed you to survive. Like a pattern allowed you yeah. to to make it across that river. It's like a raft to go across the river. Yeah. You know, so it's like, no, like love the pattern. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Like that pattern literally, it was like a like a life raft for yeah. you at some point. And so I think if we have that resistance and that almost like distancing or maybe maybe potentially even like hatred towards these patterns that we conceived to not be serving us, mm -hmm. I think it can almost be like a Chinese finger trap in a sense. And yeah. it, can like, it can give that pattern more power. Yeah. Whereas if like a kid's being an asshole or whatever, sometimes what they really want is they just want to feel loved. Yeah. You know, so they're like burning couches down and peeing on the neighbors or doing you know, whatever, the, whatever <laughs> they're doing for attention. And uh, they're like, oh, they just, they just want to be seen. Yeah. You know, they yeah. want, it's like, dude, I've, I've fucking, I saved your life when you were like seven. Yeah, like, you know, and I think that if we can just give, I feel like love pretty much heals a lot of things. Essentially, what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's 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 a lot to that, a hundred percent. But back to the shoulder oh, and yeah. the meditation. Oh yeah, the <laughs> we lost. Yeah. So, uh, so what? So what? So what did you move through, and then like what happened? I don't know. I just know that I that was a moment that changed my perception of what pain is in the body. And what the, so the samskata, the impression stuff, what, what the, from like a Buddhist meditation perspective, if you sit with yourself and you allow that bandwidth, consciousness bandwidth that typically is being poured into cell phones and computers and books and TV and other people, if you go, you take all that bandwidth and you just go in, then all of a sudden you have more energy to start to assess you know, what's actually happening in your human experience. Yeah. And what can happen while you do that in something like a silent meditation for an hour, hour on the hour on the hour on the hour, is it will give spaciousness for certain impressions to start to come to the surface. And what those impressions may or may not feel like would be like some form of pain or maybe itching or maybe tears, emotion, maybe this teacher's an asshole, fuck this guy, maybe like all these different things, like get out of here, this is stupid. These people smell, you know, like fucking whatever. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't like it. So all of those stuffs, all that stuff comes up and it's kind of like a parasite. Like a parasite, if you don't give it sugar, Coca-Cola, whatever it needs, yeah. then it might start to be cantankerous and angry and make yeah. you think you need more sugar. Right. And so it'll start being like, no, like starts kicking and screaming and making you think funny thoughts. 
but what's happening is that is actually you're starting the process of starving that parasite. So it's starting to, that samskara, that impression, that parasite's coming to the surface. And if you can sit with that, you know, I've heard like different people in like psychedelic experiences saying if the dragon comes and opens its mouth to eat you, fucking jump into the mouth. Yeah. You know, which I'm saying this is like an ideal. I have a lot of fear that I'm like ready to, hopefully ready to let go. By my words, I can tell I'm not completely ready to let go. But in those situations of experiencing that pain in, in that moment mm. or in a relationship, wow, this is uncomfortable for me. You yeah. know, I think I hate you. You know, all that's <laughs> like, okay, like if you're willing to go on the hero's journey, yeah. you know, and jump into the dragon's mouth, then the other side of that, I think typically, you know, I think is a better place. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about triggering each other's triggers, right? And, like, what's, you know, you were talking about two egos bumping heads and, like, yeah. at what point, where, how does that work, right? Yeah. You know, where, how, how much work does each person have to do yeah. to, to create, like, an equal love or, like, a mutual, a mutual thing? And sometimes I think we don't even realize the, the work that we're doing. I do a lot of quotations that people can't see. Anytime I use, like, a... a typical kind of new age progressive word. I almost always put up the money yeah. or quotations yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, same boat. Yeah. <laughs> but when we're doing that work, like I think what we're actually doing in most situations is not what we think we're doing. So right now, for example, you and I, perhaps we think we're recording a podcast and I think I'm promoting a book, and I, I think I wrote a book. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. think that you're doing photography and you know, <laughs> all that stuff. In actuality, I think we're on this spiritual journey. Yeah. You know, and we have these different, again, maybe like symptoms that come up. My book was a symptom. This podcast was a symptom of, of something that was like, okay, Nick, I think like you need to meet these people and go in this direction. I think this terrible thing, in quotation, needs to happen to you for you to be able to get those lessons. Yeah. You know, so I think that more often than not, the thing that we think that we're doing is actually has very little to the the actual like broader orchestra of what's going on. Yeah. You know, so in in our relationships, when someone, you know, how do we handle each other's egos or how do we, you know, navigate that? I think working on just letting go, you know, like non-attachment, like coming back to like the Anicca word. Yeah. You know, I think that that's like a big, that helps a lot of things. You know, and not being attached to the good times either. Right. You know, so, oh, cool. This is, oh, wow, I feel good in our relationship. Like, you love me. You know, it's yeah. like, that's cool. You might hate me in three days. Yeah. You know, like, so, so how do I maintain this equanimity, whether you love me, hate me, whatever, and, but not from a psychopathic perspective of just complete, like, anecdotia, non-attachment, don't feel anything. Yeah. Um, but how do we maintain that kind of, like, witness as we're moving through all of this stuff? I don't, that's not a response to anything because I don't really have an answer. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it's just an interesting idea because you have to, yeah, it's like, how do you do the work? That work. That Byron work. Katie, baby. But, you know, it's so funny because, like, <laughs> it depends on, like, who's listening to this, right? Like, what is work? What is, you know, like, everybody gets hit with a certain... Work is chopping wood. Work is, work is writing your book. Work is, you know, showing up on time, which today I was, like, seven minutes late. I apologize. Work is being true to your word. Work is, is each day is an opportunity to be more true to your word. Yeah. You know, each day is an opportunity to smile at people that may have been on the edge of ending their lives. Yeah. And you don't realize it. 
you know, where, as we drove, as I drove across here, you know, I was, I was going for, it was like a 45 minute trip to get here. I bet you at least once I crossed somebody that was thinking about end, ending their life. Realistically. Yeah, I mean, realistically. You know, that at some point within the last week or so, they're like, you know, I think this is, I don't know, what, what's, what, what, what am I doing here? You know, yeah. so you have that opportunity when you're at the Starbucks cashier and like there's a moment of, of having like a deeper connection with that person. Yeah. You know, and I think that every time we choose to do that in any situation, I feel like that we're like, we're doing the work of sorts. Yeah. But I would also suggest that even when we're flipping out or you know really sad or enraged or an arrogant jerk or you know we stiffed a waiter or whatever <laughs> like those might be a part of our work as well yeah you know and that might be all a part of the grander lesson that we don't necessarily see in the moment yeah you know so within that i think it's like yeah i think yeah. work can be a lot of different flavors yeah i think it's also like creating the awareness of letting go of those to do the work of letting go of those traumas right releasing those traumas and yeah. things like that because you do rolfing too which mm -hmm. isn't that a form of like helping to release tissue traumas that held yeah tissues? yeah rolfing is interesting it's so it's a so structural integration is a better term for it uh, so integrating the body, mm. um, you know, so in the body and, and the way that we do that is through hands-on therapy or manual therapy, yeah. working particularly with fascia or connective tissue, but you yeah. can't isolate any one part of the body. You're working with every part of the body if you're working on any part of the body, but fascia is kind of what it's become more known for. Yeah. And uh, that's where it gets very interesting in relation to actually like back to like book related stuff. The body, when you are surprised by something, you, know, you can think about it right now. If you're like scared of something, in a moment, all of a sudden, you know, there's like somebody in the house and you're laying in bed and you hear somebody moving. It's like, oh my God, it's an intruder. You know, something will happen to you. Your breath will shorten. It mm -hmm. will go up into like more clavicular up into your shoulder territory. Yeah. Your shoulders might actually raise up. Your jaw might clench a little bit. Blood's going to start to move out of your organs and into your muscles. Yeah. Your pupils might dilate. You know, there's this whole physical cascade yeah. of, what, of what happens there. You know, well, so there's also a physical cascade of what happens when you feel loved, when you feel confident, when you feel creative, when you feel like, wow, I just feel, I feel like one with everything. Like, I love everybody in this room. Like, man, I'm like so connected. It's like, well, where's your breath in that situation? Where's yeah. your shoulder carriage in that situation? Yeah. You know, and so when we're working with somebody from like a, a physical therapy or manual therapy perspective, we're not just working with the physical body itself. We're working with the, the, the person's humanity. We're working with their whole identity structure. Right. So if somebody comes in and their shoulders are rolled forward and their head's going forward and their spine's kind of hunched forward and their knees kind of collapse in, there's like anatomical terms for all that stuff. Yeah. You know, but what you're seeing is you're seeing a collapsed human animal. Right. You know, so it's just the world is heavy. Yeah. You're like, fuck, oh, I just feel heavy. My legs are like, they're just filled with lead. Yeah, I feel like I'm, just, I'm like I'm just, I'm just like I can't get by. You yeah, know, I have this like victim thing. I was like, I'm a fucking victim. Yeah, you know, like the world is out to get me. You know, so like that form of kind of like I just need to kind of hunker down and like hang on to what I got and just you know hope nobody steals it from me. 
you know, like there's a postural expression of that. Interesting. You know, so if you can see somebody, first you're gathering all this information from their personality structure just from like saying hello, watching them walk in. Yeah. What kind of car do they drive? What kind of clothes do they wear? How do they speak? What language do they use? What's the pacing of their language? Yeah. What kind of mannerisms as they're talking? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, so, so then from there, you're like, okay, cool, that's a lot of interesting information. So then we can start saying, okay, well, what if we manually go through and start to do some exercises to start to open up the shoulders or maybe relax the grip from the hands or work on the jaw muscles or the throat or, you know, maybe we loosen up the adductors, which are the muscles on the inside of the legs, or not like pulling those knees inward yeah. and kind of pulling you into that the hips, they can't come into full extension. So when you're walking, you're not able to actually extend back to have like a confident, open stride. Yeah. Okay, what happens if we do that? Like, okay, cool, sweet, we did that. The person's like, man, I feel like really light. I've never felt this sensation of lightness. You know, and you can do this without seeing a therapist. You can do this with, you know, I have like a whole slew of self-care practices, things that you, ways that you can start to do this stuff on your own. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. it's in like the internet and the book and all that stuff. But what happens to that person is they, their physical body shifted if their mental emotional body permits it. Mm. You know, so as long as your mental emotional body is locked in of like, no, I will not come out of being like a defensive victim or whatever the thing is, like, mm -mm, I'm not ready to leave that. Yeah. Because I maybe hang my significance on that. Right. Or whatever. Whatever yeah. the reason is. I just don't know how. It's scary. You know, so like a chicken, if a chicken's only been exposed to being in a dark pen for its whole life, it will be scared of the sun. Yeah. You know, when you first get, if people have cochlear implants in their, their ears and they, they're able to hear for the first time, it sounds like really loud and painful right. to actually take in normal audio. Yeah. You know, so that experience of transitioning out of being that collapsed, defensive, fearful human structure it might actually feel far more dangerous to occupy a body that's upright and strong and confident and all those things because I don't know what that is. Yeah. And so there's a really interesting like psychological interplay of working with the physical body. Yeah. Um, but working with the physical body is an interesting way to do it because it's meditative, it's fairly hypnotic, you know, you're you're in a safe container, you know, hopefully there's probably like whale sounds or something happening in the background. You yeah. know, and then that physical touch immediately calms people down. You're quiet, maybe for the first, first time in a long time. And the therapist is probably asking you to focus on your breath. You're in yeah. a place that it's, it's, it's like safe to ooze out some of those impressions, yeah. I guess you could say. So this is rolfing? I mean, I'm just talking about bodies in general. Just bodies in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Rolfing is a form of manual therapy that that's a lot of that conversation that I just said is rooted in like the deeper perspectives of rolfing. But rolfing itself is a form of hands-on therapy that kind of looks like slow, like myofascial release type work, if people know what that is. They don't use oil typically. So you're working with getting the connective tissue to rehydrate itself mm. as opposed to me just glazing over with a bunch of oil. Yeah. You know, so if I sit with tissue that's been bound up, dehydrated, like stuck together, adhesed yeah. is a fancy term for it, and I sit with that for long enough and I apply a bit of pressure, maybe I have you turn your, if it's on your leg, I have you turn your leg in, out, We're starting to open and close those cells and also bringing more awareness into that space yeah. and they begin to rehydrate and become more elastic. Now you have a healthier you know, knee, 
you know, a hip it. or whatever. But Got the it. bigger conversation when I, where I start to trip out and I enjoy it, I enjoy that trip, is how is all this connected to the way that I think, the way that I feel, the way that I access memories, the way that I create my reality, how's this my physical carriage related to my relationships? Why is it that I'm mm. always with people that are abusive? Why is it that I'm always with people that maybe allow me to play small? You know, because if I'm with somebody that really forces me, says like, no bitch, like you're capable of way more. Yeah. It forces me into that light. I don't think I'm ready for that. So I keep on finding enabling relationships. Oh, explain that one a little bit more. <laughs> so if you're a person that's in that place, structurally, your body's bound into that position of I'm not ready to show up and speak in front of 500 people or I'm not ready to do the, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah. Like I'm not ready. You know, you, you will, if you don't want to be picked, you will hide. You know, so if it's like, if it's like, okay, cool, we're we're picking people for the, I don't know, chorus, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. we're picking people. There's the people that want to be picked. They'll come up, they open their chest up, they open their eyes up, they <laughs> they structurally say, ah, you know, and yeah. then there's the people like, I do not want to be picked. Structurally, they go shoulders in, eyes down, <laughs> aka staring into a cell phone. Yeah. Oh, I've done that many times. Fuck yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. And so and so it's like, okay, well, like where is that habit coming from? And am I being owned by that habit or do I own the habit? You know, so if I'm being owned by it, then I don't have the plasticity to move from one sensation and state and physical form to another. Mm. Um, if I'm being owned by it, then I have essentially like one gear, maybe like two or three gears. And I kind of switch between those gears. Yeah. But someone that's say like a method actor or just a good actor in general or a stand-up comedian or yeah. you know, somebody that's, or a good business person. You know, if you're a good business person, you're probably a good communicator. If you're a good like person at most things, it's probably in large part due to your communication, ability to get along with a bunch of different diverse people. Yeah. If you're stuck in one physical form, we like people that, resemble us mm -hmm. you know so we trust ourselves the most we love ourselves the most if yeah. you ask me about me i'll like you you know you use my name a lot keep calling me aaron i'm like oh god yeah wow man. this is great <laughs> your nick's a great keep guy saying sweet things wow, to it's me. amazing <laughs> yeah you know and so if we can resemble each other then we will love each other yeah you know if we don't if I don't see me in you in the least homoerotic way possible or whatever, <laughs> then I won't really have the same level of value and appreciation for you because I won't see us building together because I don't see me building with you through you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and so if you have the capacity, like to be a little bit more chameleon like with your structural form, your facial mannerisms, your your gestures, yeah, the pacing of the way that you speak. Yeah, the tone of the way that you speak. If you just have one set tone, one set posture, one set way that your eyebrows move, you will get along with one set person yeah. in one set mood. Right. But if you have, if you do facial exercises and you stretch out and you pull in your ears and you, oh, your jaw and you, oh, and you go through all these different sounds and you sing and you play instruments to help open up that creativity and that movement and that rhythm and you take a Pilates class and a dance class, and then you do an improv class sometimes, and then you go swimming, and then you try surfing, and then you do weightlifting. 
all of those are different opportunities to start to ingrain a new style of movement that allows you to be able to connect with a wider demographic of human beings, mm. which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I just It's funny because I just started doing voice lessons. Great. And it's not even like for singing or anything. It's actually, yeah. she just like, she helps a lot, actually a lot of entrepreneurs and different people. And I realize like how much, especially with what I'm doing now, like the voice and the vocal, like your voice is your message and your voice is like who you are, yep. but your actual voice. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Yeah. In, in which respect? Who do you think your voice represents? Like how would you describe your voice? How would you describe your, if you had like a non-biased witness perspective, how would you describe your voice in the podcast, for example? In the way that I sound or the way that The I, personality of your voice. Is your voice, is it strong, confident, humble, creative, generous, powerful, meek? Or how has it been? I would say it's creative. I would say... For me, like starting this podcast was a way to push myself out of my comfort zone because mm -hmm. I've, I've definitely not been the type of person that it, before and even still like it's a challenge to me. It's like it's work. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing the work, Nick. <laughs> quotations here, guys. Quotations. quotations. <laughs> it's work because like, you know, it's, it's it, honestly, it's really interesting because I, you know, I just was in Seattle with my family this week. My mom had surgery. And it was interesting to see, observe, like, how everybody operated, right? Mm. And I come from a very conservative Christian upbringing where it was very, and both my parents, very, they're, very, they're like the sweetest people in the world, but they also have this kind of, like, very meek presence. And so I feel like I inherited a lot of that. Mm. But I've also spent a lot of my life trying not to be that in mm. a certain sense. And so for me, Why like, not? Why would you try not to be that? I feel like I was meant to play a bigger game. And I feel like the context of which I grew up in was a, like, it's a smaller game. Or mm -hmm. like play small, right? Like not necessarily play a big yeah. game, but, but play small. Like that's kind of how I you know, grew up. That's like what was modeled for me yeah. in a certain sense. So I've always, I feel like I've worked a lot to try to like break out of that. And it's still, it's like this internal challenge for myself. So. I'm, I'm learning how to use it more hmm. and become more confident with it. How um, are you doing that? Taking voice lessons. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn in the voice lessons? Well, a lot of it's like you're talking about, like different movements, like, and yeah. then also like breath and how breath can help you. And a lot of it is like, you know, this, breath, this voice teacher, she's helped me, like there's subconscious blocks that are fears, like subconscious fears that are lodged that we're like, working on getting out through different breath breath techniques and different different things because even when I speak there's things that I will probably hold back because of subconscious fear. What do you think the fears come from? <laughs> the fear comes from What's a common theme of the fear? Well, the common theme of the fear is judgment. So fear of being judged, fear of being criticized, you know, growing up in a in a upbringing where I wasn't allowed to speak my voice and to share my truth and to, you know, it was just very frowned upon, you know, because there was only one way, yeah. the Bible, right. the Christian way. Yeah. And if anything outside of that, you know, no. Yeah. Like, so like a lot of times my dad didn't know how to handle it. I, you know, I don't blame him. He has like, you know, he did the best with tools the other time. 
and he shuts down, he processes things, you know, whenever we would talk to him, he would get really verbally affirmative when we would talk about church and God and that stuff. He would shut down and process whenever we talk about things outside of that, sex before marriage, dating, any other ideal philosophy or psychology or anything outside of that, right, of of Christianity. And so as a kid, I absorbed that as, oh, I'm being judged for being good or bad, and good or bad means that I, you know, bad means I can't talk about things outside of the church Hmm. or think about that. So I think subconsciously that repressed my own voice and my own truth. Yeah. As now I'm becoming more aware of this, and I've done a lot of work yeah. <laughs> to realize and become aware of these things, it's kind of that's that's what I'm working on releasing. Those those are the subconscious fears and blocks that I feel like are there. Have you noticed any shift along the way of of, of tapping into the voice? Yeah, it's slowly. I've only done a couple of lessons, but also another thing too that's helped is psychedelics. Fuck yeah. It's funny because like I used to, when I was doing solo podcasts, I would have to like start, stop, start, stop, and record over. Now, like since I'd done psychedelics about a year, like about a year, I've been able to just like do a full podcast, just straight flow, mm. which is... You're probably shutting down some of that judgment radar that, that goes off. Yeah. You're like silenting that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Psychedelics are also, depending on the psychedelic, like psilocybin, LSD and such has been shown to be helpful with neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. and kind of giving you the opportunity to fill in some of those ruts that have been cultivated over the years. Yeah. And so they're like neural ruts in a way. Like you think of it as like like a ski hill is an analogy that I've heard before that you might have heard already as well. Yeah. Um, But you go down a hill and you kind of go down a specific path and then eventually like moguls kind of start to grow around that path and it's like, okay, that's the path. Yep. You know, so it's just the path almost just takes the skier. You know, right. So they say we have like between 60 and 80,000 thoughts each day and like 90 odd percent of them is just the same shit that you've been repeating over and over again. Yeah. So it's just all these skiers going <laughs> and the path gets deeper and deeper and, and deeper. Moguls are bigger. Moguls are bigger, bigger, bigger. Eventually, there's like these mountains of moguls. There's like, dude, what are we gonna do? Yeah. That's so a great having, analogy. So having something like a, you know, a, I think a controlled, you know, really excellent setting, you know, where like dosage and yeah, you know, a guide and all that stuff is, you know, those are all really helpful factors with it. Just like safety, like it's a really safe place. Yeah, we that, read, you read the book How to Change Your Mind. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's got a lot of the, the like the the breakdowns. It's great to have that from Michael, who's just a, such a sweet human in general. So his perspective on things is comes from a very like non biased. Like he never used psychedelics and stuff before that. I think he never used it. Did he ever use them? I think he didn't. At least he doesn't have a lot of experience with it. But it's great to have his pers- yeah. He's never done it in his life. Yeah. So that's such a cool thing to get to see that person. Yeah. I think sometimes people, they say like, oh, I did mushrooms when I was like 16 and you know, I did a beer bong and then ate some mushrooms. Like, I totally get it. I'm like, no, you're 40 now. And it will be a vastly different experience if you're like <laughs> yeah. out in the woods with like a couple close loved friends, you know, like looking into mountains, reflecting on your life. Like, I promise yeah. you haven't tried mushrooms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not that I think that everyone even needs to try that. I think there's a lot of different access points. I think 
sexuality, depending upon how you approach it, can be a way to kind of tap into things. I think breath work, I think like a near-death experience, or maybe yeah. like a life experience, like having a child, yeah. you know, or going for a trip. You know, you yeah. go and you live in Morocco for a while, or you go, you live in Uganda or something like that. I think that would be yeah. absolutely on par with like a psychedelic experience. Yeah. I think it's just interesting that they call it a trip. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about sexual, how you've used sexuality to do that. Sexuality is interesting, I think. You know, one, we have culturally, I would imagine you would fall into this boat, judging from the, the upbringing you described. Are you um, judging me right now? No, no, no. no, no. I mean, I guess maybe. I'm analyzing. But I grew up with a lot of shame around sexuality. Oh, yeah. Um, and Absolutely. so, like even, like, even now, like, looking down at my penis, I'm like, okay, like, is it all right? You know, it's like, okay, cool. If it's like, you know, a little, this is a little graphic, but if it's like, what's it called? Like a semi? I'm like, oh, okay, that's okay. You know, but if it's like, not, if it's not the chair, like, oh, I don't think it's enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's like all these, and these are all these stories. Yeah. There's all belief systems that you, like, you did not have that judgment of your penis or your vagina or your whatever when you were two. You yeah. just didn't. No. And so at some point, there was a moment where you're like, oh, it's not enough. You know, or, oh, it's, this is bad. This is just, oh, man, if I think these thoughts, then I'm a bad person. I'm going to grow hair on the back of my knuckles or whatever. Or, yeah. You know, this bearded man in the corner is, like, stroking his beard, watching me, just judging me as I'm, like, fondling myself. <laughs> you're like, that's fucking wild that that gets caked into our culture at such a young age. Yeah. I don't mention this in the book, but I was tempted to. There's a... Uh, guy called James Prescott that did various different research of cultures around the world and the level yeah. of, of touch that adolescents or oh, kids had as they were growing up. Yeah. Uh, and also the openness with sexuality among adolescents. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that the cultures that were more open with sexuality and had more touch would have significantly less incidence of war. So mm. if they grow up with that like a little bit more like bohemian free love like yeah it's a penis cool like oh great you guys made out like that's that's great like let's talk about penetration let's talk yeah. about where kids come from you yeah. know or like and let's we can like hug and we can you know oh we're we're, we're gonna pass the baby from this person to that person oh he's crying oh i got it i can tell you know i can yeah. take care of the child that being that grows in that place yeah um they don't so says research from Prescott and other places, they don't grow up with as much of like a chip on their shoulder, you know, or like something to prove or like the need to dominate. Yeah. You know, but you look at like maybe the more speaking of like penis shame, like Hitler had a hyperspadia, I believe was what the term is. I don't even know what that is. So his urethra pointed down um, instead of like straight out. And there's like talk of maybe he might have had one testicle and all sorts of stuff. And he was very strange around his sexuality. So he, growing up, he like never kissed a girl. And there was like one, I just read like the first quarter of his autobiography. Wow. And he uh, would like fantasize about this one girl, but he never had the balls. It's kind of a pun because he might have had one testicle to like say something to her. And then eventually he like ended up kind of growing resentful of women. And it was particularly, he was resentful from what I read of Jewish women, kind of considering them to be like prostitutes and this and that. Ah. I'm not saying that the reason Hitler became Hitler was because of sexual trauma, but I would almost guarantee that like it played an ingredient in the recipe that formed a Hitler. Yeah. And I would 
I wonder what would happen if he grew up in a place where he loved his penis and he grew up in a place where touch was freely given and received and like it was just a part of the thing. Yeah. And you know, being like, oh, we're like, we're at a nude beach. It's cool. You know, like there's yeah. nothing to shame. Like I love every square inch of your body and I love every square inch of my body and anything, oh, you have a wart or oh, you have a, you know, a third nipple or oh, you have whatever. <laughs> it's like, great. It's, yeah. just a, it's just a conglomeration of cells. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a conglomeration of cells that we've built a story around. Yeah. And there's a whole narrative built around those cells that at a cellular level, they have no idea what the hell we're talking about. Right. You know, but from the outside, we've built this lens of like, okay, that means that. Yeah. And now, you know, you're a part of the leper society or you're part of like the outcast in society. Yeah. It's very strange. It's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're just like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny is like after doing like psychedelics and stuff, you come back and you're like, if you do, if you do like a really big dose mm -hmm. of mushrooms, like heroic, heroic journey or even ayahuasca or anything like that, you come yeah. back and you're like, I don't, I've had, I've had these instances where I'm like, oh, I'm just getting beamed back into this human. Like totally human is so weird. And like, oh, dude, I went through a time in high school where I was, um, I went through kind of like a time of like a, an anodotia, which essentially is like you feel like numb to the world. I had like strange things. My dad was smoking crack. He went to prison. All sorts of weird stuff happened. Jeez. He's doing fine now. But he was like, I'd come home and he would be really not, not cool things were like happening in my home environment. And I, during that time, I kind of started to almost like emotionally check out. Which now, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, okay, that like, totally makes sense. Like, I get it. At the time, it was kind of just, I don't know, I think just like getting by. But yeah, I went through a time frame of like essentially completely disconnecting from everything. Mm. I had a thread of why I was excited about mentioning that. What were you just talking about? That psychedelics coming back to human. Oh, yeah, coming back. I don't know why I was saying that. There was, there was something. It was something about coming back. I had a coming back to all... human, like just like when you come back and you realize you're in this human experience and you're, yeah, you're like, well, I have hands. And... Oh, that's what it was. During that time, I started looking at everybody as being aliens, <sighs> and so I was literally I look around and I was just like, oh my god, like the cool girl in school is a fucking alien. <laughs> you know, like everybody, like I'm looking down at my hands. I'm like, oh my god, like I am from outer space. Yeah. Because I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have this sense of like UFO and aliens and out there and this is like, dude, you were alien AF. Yeah, we're so <laughs> alien. It's so ridiculous. I just started reading this book, A Case Against Reality. Oh, I haven't seen it. And it's, it's basically how we're like, we just, you know, we are, we're just cells having this experience. Oh, like dude. it's all processed from our senses. Oh yeah. If you really go deep with it and you think you're like, uh, and you're, we are. We're like having, you know, sight, smell, you know, smell, touch, mm. all this, you know, and it's all just a reflection of, of what we're experiencing sensually. Yep. But like, is it actually anything? And your belief system deeply impacts the structure of your cells. You know, so right. like there's instances of like multiple personalities when they go into, okay, now I'm Brenda. Brenda has a rash over here, or she has acne, or she has, you know, a bruise, or she has different actual physical characteristics. Yeah. When I switch back over to Linda, or you know, whatever, whoever's the, the other personality, oh, like she doesn't have that rash, or she doesn't have this and that. And we can literally change the structure 
of ourselves at a cellular level based off of our belief systems. Yeah. Which gets pretty interesting. And then that gets like Southern Baptist churches and such. And they're like getting bit by snakes and like the Holy Spirit's protecting them. And it's like, yeah, it is. Like you're doing it, but you having this strong enough of a belief system, you can actually increase whatever immune cells you need to battle off that snake venom. Or you can walk across those coals and you can go again more like Tony Robbins, like hit yourself three times and show me your move and (laughs) change your state and like walk across the coals. Yeah. You know, like we have so much more power of our physicality and our emotionality and all of, you know, our our reality than what we have been told. Yeah. Because I think for the most part, our teachers are people that are, uh, we don't have any teachers of what we're talking about right now. You know, or like creating your reality. You yeah. Know, or even like like just self-love. Like living in a body that like actually loves itself. Yeah. That's a pretty big fucking subject. You know, but we don't have any of that yeah. in school. We have like, how do you be a more effective cog? Okay, cool. Do your homework. <laughs> just go do your homework. <laughs> do your homework. Yeah, Did it. you get an A? Okay, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Great job. Great, Great job. job. Great job. Great job. You got it all together. Well, I mean, what, so how, how would you? <laughs> how would you describe self-love? Because I feel like self-love is such. It's a fluffy. This, it's a fluffy, fluffy ambiguous. Fluffy like, go fuck yourself. It's, like, yeah, it's a go fuck yourself. Self-love. I'm all about self-love, yeah. but it's actually something that we it's actually need to do, deal. and yeah. it's like the biggest. <laughs> and it's just like I still like struggle to like grasp like what does that actually mean? I think self-love is more easily, and this is not a thing that I. I just so I just recorded a podcast with somebody today that's like very feminine audience, and so <laughs> yeah. this is like your experience and like the 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 kind of the byproduct or the tail end of that conversation. So exactly. I apologize in advance. No, no, no. So this, <laughs> but I think self-love makes a lot of sense when you relate it to like a child. You know, so, okay, how do I love my child? You're like, well, oh, no problem. I'll tell yeah. you exactly how to love my child. You know, I want to feed him good food or her good food. I want to make sure she gets to bed on time. I want to make sure that she believes that she can do anything that she wants in the world because she can. You know, yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe there's certain things that it's like it might be helpful to be real about this because like it's maybe like it's just not possible for this thing or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right belief system. But being authentic and genuine and expressive and compassionate and loving with that child, you'd be like, yeah, of course, I got all that stuff. Yeah. But then when you take that of like, okay, cool, like how do I take care of myself as though my my I'm my own child? For the most part, I think if people really were to like go in and audit themselves, yeah, like if you were your father or mother, would you conduct or allow yourself to conduct your thoughts and your actions the way that you do? Yeah. For me, there's certain things that I would probably coach myself away from, but since it's me inside the tunnel, I'm like, oh fuck it, it feels good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think anytime you're doing that thing that you know inherently is actually somewhat abusive, that would be an act of going against self-love. You know, and so maybe investing in like, you know what, I'm gonna invest, I'm gonna get a massage. You know, yeah. I'm gonna actually like, I'm gonna spend the hundred bucks or whatever, and I'm gonna go and I'm like, have a moment, I'm just gonna invest in myself, because yeah. I love myself. And it would be great to, I've worked really hard this week, and I haven't kissed a girl for two months or whatever, <laughs> like I need some touch in my life. All right. You know, I could use it. Like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pay for massage. Oh wow, I feel better. 
I got some touch. They took care of me. They put essential oils on my neck. Like, wow, that's great. Yeah. You know, that would be like, I would recommend that for my son. Like, dude, you're not getting action. Like, it would be great for you to get some touch. Yeah, I think you'd be, you know, go go to this place. That's just one potential example. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny how much self-care costs. And yep. not cost, but no, it's so funny. Well, I guess your finances dictate, like, what you, you know, what you put priority, right? Yeah. And uh, no, for me, like I would just say, because like over the last couple of years, I've really put a lot into myself because like I went through that really dark time a couple of years ago and it was just like, how can I like move through this? Like, mm-hmm. I know that I will, but I'm still in a really dark space. Yep. And for me, so much of it was just investing into that, all of that, like breath work and massages and healers and yeah. <laughs> meditation. It's good to get help, man. And, I think there's a lot of things that you can do by most things that are meaningful are free or close to it. And, you know, so self-love would also be, okay, I could like bang out another email thing or I could like go take a walk because my eyes hurt and I've been stuck in this fucking house all day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, cool, like, what's dad say or mom say? Like, go take a walk, honey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the emails will wait. Yeah. You know, like, you need to be a healthy, strong, robust organism for another 70 years because the world needs you. And you yeah, banging right. out that last email right now <laughs> is not adding to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think so that's a free example. But as far as the examples like investing in finding a, you know, a coach or a therapist or a healer or whatever, yeah, you can really get skipped up a few steps with that. Yeah. You know, I think that there's there is value. If you find the right person that you're like, if there's somebody that's like a fuck yeah, where you're like, damn, like they're like whatever they've got in their Kool-Aid, like I like I like that. Yeah. You know, they've figured some stuff out. Totally. You know, so I could buy these books and I could kind of go autonomous style and do the things and invest and you know maybe save Four hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or whatever it is, and do that on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I think it's a really smart move to say, like, okay, like I could really use a, a coach. Yeah, you know, and knowing when, like, okay, when do I do that? Because yeah. it can be a huge benefit. Absolutely, psychedelics are definitely a good. They are a coach. They're, They're a coach, beings, and they, they'll they'll jump you. They will jump your shit. They'll jump. Your yeah, shit. if you don't have several thousand dollars for some kind of like weekend seminar in Tahiti or whatever, a bag of psychedelics from a trusted resource, and again, have a super safe environment, have some form of guide, if you don't know what you're doing, um, have some form of guide that has experience with it, and that's the issue, this is the qualm with this conversation in general, is you get into slippery territory only because it's illegal and only because it's not accepted, which makes us ignorant and dangerous. Yeah. You know, when you put something off of the table, that's when it becomes dangerous because now we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And now the people that we trust are from some black market whatever thing. Yeah. Kind of strange saying black market with something like psilocybin because it's typically not very black market. It's really people like <laughs> some sweet dude at the health food store or whatever. Yeah. They're like, you know, has some mushrooms and they in, the just grow his, in the ground. the back of his yeah, van. You know, but that's the resources that we have because of the fact that it's like this taboo off limits thing. And that's when things become kind of mutated. It's the same thing as making your back to like the the sexual stuff to make your sexuality taboo off limits. That's the beginning of problems manifesting. Yeah. You know, we won't necessarily see those problems manifest maybe even when the child is in the home, 
but you better believe that they are at some point they will need to be expressed out. Yeah. You know, so the sooner that we can open up, like Portugal did this with with drugs and and the decriminalization of all drugs. And what they found was all of a sudden there's like, well, there's obviously less people going to jail, but also less it like less all the issues that can manifest from drugs, like violence from them or deaths or anything like that all that ends up going down. And then they end up getting these new tax dollars from the drugs, similar to like the cannabis industry. All of a sudden we can tax cannabis and now Colorado has this thriving economy and California and it's like, totally. oh cool, like we can, interesting. So we can actually start to be on the team of this stuff, you know, send it light and then we can gain relationship with it and we're all getting paid off of it. Yeah. As opposed to having the opposite perspective of like we need to keep fighting it. Keep investing in it. Just fight, fight, fight. It's like no, no, no. Like, let's yeah. have responsible conversations about things. And because if you, if you're able to actually have like a full, open, authentic conversation of the risks and you know the benefits and all that, yeah, um, that doesn't just all of a sudden mean that everyone's going to start to become drug addicts. Yeah, it just means they're going to become educated. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it lessens the you know the impact of the or the the negative effects of it or the negative effects of in society with legalizing it. Well, then we know where to go with it, too. We have places for people that's like, oh, I have a problem. You know, I'm addicted. And, like, and you're probably not addicted to a set thing because of the thing. You're probably more addicted to the thing because there's some deeper void that you're trying to fill. Right. And you happen to have found a thing that seems to almost scratch it when you use it. And you just, you're addicted to that almost scratching <laughs> sensation of <laughs> totally. almost getting over the top of it. But underneath that, it probably has little to nothing at all to do with the drug and has everything to do with your whole internal psychological yes. orchestra that's happening. Yeah. Which is funny because they're seeing that psilocybin and I say like ayahuasca and these things like are helping treat addiction. Totally. Because addiction They're a totally is just different a, category, man. Yeah. When the people addiction. say drug, they think like amphetamines. They put like amphetamines and psilocybin somehow in the same category. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, to, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Uh. Absolutely. Uh. So, one thing I want to speak of investing into your health and invest. So, one of the things I've invested in is fitness mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. And cool. Actually, the last few years of my life, but like I wanted. The idea of integrating fitness into your life versus being like a gym rat, you know? Because yeah. for me, like, I try to do that as much as I can. Like, I ride a bike, I bike to meetings, things like that, and I get exercise doing that. Now I'm doing yoga a couple times a week. I was boxing, my shoulders all messed up. But, you know, how can people really integrate fitness into their life into an easy way? And I know some of it's mindset, and I'd just love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, so. The book is broken down, again, the publishers kind of demanded it was broken down into five steps or principles or whatever. So the cheesy, least cheesy thing I could come up with would be movement principles. Yeah. So it's broken down into five movement principles. And there's a bunch of other parts into it as well, obviously. But we broke that down in that way to make it immensely accessible by anybody to create huge gain in a short amount of time and then huge long-term gain, if, assuming they you know do any of it, especially mm-hmm. all of it. Um, and the ones that... I've deemed worthy of making like the five principles. One is in relation to your shoulders, just spending time with your arms overhead, ideally like hanging from something oh. each day. You know, so anybody listening, um, I should have some kind of pull-up bar company thing. I don't uh, get a pull-up bar and put it in your doorway, like a doorway that you walk through with regularity. 
And that will be a way to start to mobilize your shoulders, start to open up your lungs, better for your respiratory efficiency. And there's a whole book called Shoulder Pain slash the chapter in my book that gets into this. Uh, by a guy called Dr. John Kirsch, who's an orthopedic surgeon. And he found that patients that he would see for shoulder pain uh, with like an, like a, a stupidly high success rate, he says 99%. I find that like hard to believe, but that's like, it almost sounds like wishy-washy when I say 99%. Yeah. Uh, but that's what he has in the book. That was his experience. Uh, but a really high percentage of the patients that he would work with, if he would just take them through a hanging protocol, which I break down in the Align Method book, yeah. of just hanging for a total of 90 seconds a day. For In his book, in my book, I recommend starting with 10 days, you know, ideally going for a month. In the Kirsch book, I think he, it might be like two weeks he recommends. But anyways, hang every day, you know, whatever huh, it is. Just for like a pull-up bar. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, so just spending that time. So your shoulders are actually more structured to hang than uh, monkeys, for example. So like the idea of like a monkey bar is actually a misnomer. Huh. It ought to be human bar or ape bar. Um, <laughs> so the shape of your clavicles, the the position, the shape of your hand, the, just the, the humerus, the forearms, all of that is is structured so that you are actually built to reach up and you know pull down on tree branches and up on ladders and whatnot. Like that's <laughs> what we do with these shoulders. Yeah. The modern world has essentially sacrificed that for the most part entirely uh, into cell phone being planted in your hand and kind of rolled forward and kind of looking down at that thing. Yeah. That position is, if you were to look at that person and a photographer that you would probably know uh, has done this where he photoshopped out the phone from various different images of people looking at their phone, hanging out with their partner or whatever. And every person in the image, they look really sad. You know, so you're looking at it, you're like, oh man, like what's wrong? Uh, like, oh, I'm just checking my text. It's like, well, you look fucking sad. <laughs> like, what's going on? And so then getting into, which we didn't really get into this conversation, but those postural patterns, literally, there's all sorts of science that we have in the book, affect the way that you think, the way that you feel, and also even the way that you access memories. So when you're in a kind of hunched over, more collapsed, in the book we call it a mo the mopey archetype posture, it's easier for a person, so says research out of San Francisco State University. They did different, two different groups of students. One was in an upright position, the other one was in like a collapsed position. The people in the upright position were more easily able to access like feel good memories. And then the more the people in the collapsed position had more of like a gray filter on the world and their acquisition of memories. So they go into so times that they felt collapsed and hunched over and oh cool like that that's the memory that comes to mind yeah so imagine you're like a physical tuning fork so you're walking through the world you're literally tuning your perception of the world around you and you're also tuning people's perception of you so when people see you in a certain way and you might identify with being a victim because you found that when you are a victim people will maybe give you you know, extra candy bar or something like that. <laughs> so you're like, fuck, I don't want to lose this victim role. I don't want people to think that I actually have, you know, I'm, I'm engaged with my life and I have control. Because if they think that, yeah. they won't take care of me anymore. Slippery shit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so true. I mean, it's, you just look at like... <laughs> I mean, victim, victimhood is just all over the place. And, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we all fall into it at certain points. Oh, dude, it's been a huge part of my story. Yeah. 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 I'm only recently, I think, really beginning the processes of, like, being okay with letting go of that. But I still see tendrils of it myself. Yeah. Uh, same here. Got to watch out for people, I think, that don't, don't, but maybe not. I wonder, 
Have you met people that really don't have any sh- like kind of shit to be working on? You know what I'm saying? Like somebody's like, wow, you're just like full spiritual guru, master person. You don't really, you don't think about, you don't yeah, jerk off. Then, you don't have any kind of like, what's going on? Like nothing? Exactly, There's right. No, I don't. I, no, but then you get like, it, then the, well, you know what's funny is like you get to like, have you, I'm sure you probably met people that have like a spiritual ego. Sure. And you're just like, oh, shut up. Well, that's like, when it's, the, yeah, that's the, the most distasteful. I would take someone that's honest about being like a, like a gold digger, you know, or just like <laughs> plastic surgery and the whole thing and like yeah. high heels and driving their sugar daddy's Benz or whatever and just like, yep, I'm digging. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, cool, I can respect that. Like, I get that, that's cool. <laughs> Compared to the person that's in denial of um, their kind of compensating some other form of whatever it may be, inadequacy or something else with like, the spiritual ego, yeah, um, yeah. yeah the spiritual ego is the worst. Oh, it's in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's the most uncomfortable to be around. <laughs> which I would be guilty of that sometimes. I think. I mean, you could probably hear in this conversation. There's times where I, I like lean back on talking about like, I don't know, Buddhism and stuff like that or whatever. And yeah. I think that I'm doing my damnedest to take myself as lightly as possible. Yeah. Um, and not get construed into any form of like whatever spiritual teacher whatever type role i think the the most interesting spiritual teachers or like gurus would be just like normal people you know and if someone's in guru dumb yeah. i feel like it's like hmm you know i'm always very like skeptical like really all right yeah. interesting yeah i mean i think oh man that stuff drives me crazy and like the point where people actually get to be gurus and like the fact that there are people put people up on a pedestal like that yeah you know how you know maybe they have like a, a you know a divine knowledge that they share, but it doesn't mean they're like better. Than well, they still shit, and they still piss, and they still prematurely ejaculate sometimes, probably, and they still have ED, <laughs> and they still have like there's like there's moments where you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is you're just an animal. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's still there's like there's still so many different no matter where you're at and you're whatever part of the journey. There's some part I think that's there's still work to be done. Yeah. And once you start to put yourself in a position of like you pedestalize yourself in a sense or allow yourself to be pedestalized by other people, it's like, okay, cool, like the work is done. And at that point, I hope you're dead. Yeah. You know, because like that's the time that you can take off the shoe. Yeah. And that's like a Ram Dass where it's like death is like, a, like taking off a tight shoe. Yeah. You know, like, cool, all right, you're dead. Okay, pedestalize all you want. You know, but at that point, it doesn't matter anymore either. Yeah, anyway, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so, yeah, you just get into, like, you know, it's like the, the Osho, the wild, wild country stuff, uh-huh. and like Bikram and like all these, like. Yeah, you watch out. Yeah. Ram Dass has done a good job of that. I mean, he, he died now, but he's. Alan Watts was another one who did a good job. He was an alcoholic, so he was very grounded in like humanity, you know. But there's there's a handful of different spiritual teachers that I would consider essentially like guru. Um, I think both of them, in my opinion, are they've been like huge, kind of like almost like father figures for me. I've listened to like probably fucking thousands of hours of them at this point, just because yeah. I really like them. And they don't give a shit about being the guru. Yeah, you know, I think that's a big thing. If the person really hangs on to that, I'm like, okay. I think there's work in quotations to be done with the guru. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> right. It's like they're the ones that's like, that's when the work begins. Right. Yeah, well, that's probably because journey. you spend so much time like 
kind of balancing, you know, I think a lot of the work is balancing the ego and like detaching from the ego because or gaining a relationship with it because you don't want to be a detached ego because that would be broken too. Yeah, where's or just your ego? Fully detached. Did you leave it at the house? Like, where did it go? It's like you want to be able to move fluidly through the world with ego in hand. Yes. But you don't want to identify with like, I am the precious. <laughs> you know, you look I down and you, drool, and you drool over the ego. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I want to be like, cool, fuck yeah. Like I'm in relationship with this thing. Like it's totally yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, being in relationship with it, that's, a, that's such a better better way of explaining it. Yeah, distinction. Yeah, if you're detached, then that's going to be a, an uncomfortable existence. Yeah. You're like, fuck, where's my ego? That's like if you get, it's like if you have a psychedelic trip and you never come down. Yeah. Like at some point you have to fucking put your pants on and like, drive a car and like like integrate pay taxes <laughs> there's like shit that like your ego is helpful to kind of organize <laughs> totally. for you <laughs> but you don't want to only be that you know that's that's so it's it really is like i mean you say that in every freaking spiritual teaching or text or whatever it's like yin yang black dark moon sun you know yeah. it's that it's that that balance the poles yeah and so it's the same thing of like adult ego structure, infinite timeless love child. Right. You know, you, you want to be, you're like, cool, sweet, like let's be together because we both really help each other. Yeah. Um, but if I'm just this love, you know, fluid amoeba bubble of childlike divinity, like it's going to be really awkward walking through Times Square and like getting a job and like there's value to maintaining that, that yeah. ego part is all I'm saying. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, ego kid is not the enemy. It's like... The ego's the, not the enemy. The, you know, the ego's, ego's your buddy, me, man. Right? Ego, ego takes care of you. Yeah, you yeah. just gotta... You just, don't want to, you just don't want to give it all of the power. Yeah. You gotta you let it... You want to diversify. Diversify your ego. Yeah, you gotta let it... You gotta play the game, right? Like you're play, the ego is the, yeah. the console. Yeah. Yeah, play exactly. the game of life. Yeah. You got to navigate this 3D world. and, yeah. and uh, But yeah. ideally you can see, I, would, I think I would prefer to live a life that if there was a captain, it would be the egoless, or, you know, or like the, the, the truth or the, the loving, love loving or the awareness. light or loving awareness. Yeah. Like I think that's, that's really the game. Is yeah. How do I get that the, the company share is at least 51, 49 yeah. You know, 51 loving awareness, you know, one love, interconnected divinity, all that unicity, all that stuff. Yeah. And the 49 is ego. Because then it's like, okay, cool. Well, now I'm practicing how to die effectively, essentially. Yeah. If I'm leading my life through loving awareness, then when the time comes to take off the shoe, then it's like, oh, that's fine. I've like lived my life you know, as though this wasn't who I am. Yeah. But if the company shareholders were 51, I am this body and I am this ego and I am my money and I am my watch. Yeah. At some point you'll have an uncomfortable transition that you'll have to address. (laughs) (laughs) AKA the work. At some point you'll have to do the work. And that work might be in like a death experience because you're going to die. Yeah. We are both going to be dead. Out of this body. Yeah. Isn't that fucking wild? That is wild. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It could be any time. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be. My yeah. fucking two first names, my serial killer first names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think of, how often do you think about death? 
Dude, you know what I thought about last night? Sorry, how often do you think about death? No, I mean, not that often. I mean, I think about it in the sense that really? I die. Really? How do you not think about death that often? Like, how, how often is that that often? Well, I mean, what do you mean? Like, die, how, I think like about how it, I'm going to die? I think or? about it every day. Really? Multiple times a day. What, like, what do you think about? I'm going to be dead soon. It's pretty much like that. Uh, not like soon, but like soon's relative. Like time, come on, like 60 yeah. years. Like, that's not a lot of time. Yeah, true. It's nothing. <laughs> Later. You know what I was thinking about last night, though? That tripped me up. I wrote about it. It was very fascinating. It changed my whole vibe as I was writing about it because I was, I, was, I was using some cannabis as well. So kind of, I was like, whoa. <laughs> But it's fascinating that we live in a culture that, again, I, I'm all, I, like, I think that we have like symptoms of certain people. If a person is a murderer, for example, or if a person is a thief, or a person is a, something that seems like a bummer in society, yeah. I think society created that, and they are a symptom that happens to be inhabited by a body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that in our society, when there is, in, we are in a society of, of imbalanced wealth distribution, and a outcropping of that is that when you're a, I, you don't want to be a person if you if you are a very wealthy abundant person i don't think it's the wisest thing to like really lead with that opulence and go out of your way to do that because it it starts to create like parasites that will start to gather around and i was just having this moment of thinking this is pretty dark i apologize in advance but it's fascinating that in our culture of imbalanced wealth acquisition it is a thing for people to pose as loved ones and actually literally like kill their partner or whatever in order to inherit the the house or the money or the wealth or whatever it is. And I'm like, I apologize for how dark this is, but it's, it's a reality of fucking life. Like there's people, especially in LA, that's like, there's, there's bitches right now or men right now, men can be bitches as well, but just bitches in the sense of like, you know, not great humans that are like plotting of like, okay, how do I get this estate? You see that in the movies, but like, it's real It's thing. real yeah. shit, dude. <laughs> that's so wild. It's real shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, and so, and what that is a product of is that is a symptom because that will exist in a culture with such disparity of wealth. Yeah. You know, there's going to be people kind of, okay, how do I figure, because I'm in a place of this victim role or whatever, where it's just not possible, or you know, it's yeah. like I need to be there. And so it ends up kind of, it just ends up fucking popping up in a place that's more, I think, balanced from a perspective of, I don't know, wealth, for example. Um, things like that wouldn't manifest. But yeah. in a place with such deep disparity, there's all sorts of weird, toxic things that pop up with that. And I, I, I apologize. You probably need to like edit that out of the conversation. No. But it was just no, like a I, moment. I was just like, oh shit! Like yeah. that's like a legit thing. But it's a, yeah, it is a product of that society, right? Like product of fear of sort of like living in survival and not thinking, being a victim, not thinking that you can do it yourself and that you have to like use other people. Yeah. <clears throat> to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What's but the biggest fears that, that stand out for you? Biggest fear, my biggest fears? Yeah. Biggest fears. If you had to pick a Nick's greatest fear in life. Greatest fear in life. Man, that's a hard, that's a hard question. I think a big fear would be probably like, you know, it's like the balance of feeling like I'm enough, right? Mm. And 
that there is like that that ego versus loving awareness, right? Because it's a fear of just like my own ego feeling like it needs to be enough. Yeah. And what does that even mean, right? Just significance and and everything in life. Do you think that's ever served you? That fear, or do you think that's always been like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's always been destructive. Or do you think there's a point where that that sensation has been? I don't think there's it's some way to like that we can thank it. Is there something like oh, it's actually well? Been no, I mean I think that it's also been part of the driving force of creating what I've created and in my life and like creating the life that I've created. Yeah. Do you feel like you've been able to suck the juice from that pattern enough that you're able to leave it or not yet? A lot, yeah. I mean, I think over the last few years, I think that's a big part of that dark night of the soul and like the dark times that I've been through is like because things like, you know, I think a lot of my self-worth was attached to the work that I was doing as a photographer and being like doing these big brands and these things and like when business slowed down for me in that world, my ego was so attached, my self-worth was so attached to that. So the fear of losing that was, the fear of losing that significance took a toll on me. Yeah. And so now I'm on a pendulum of like coming to terms with that and like detaching from that aspect. But I mean, there's still subconscious wirings in there that I'm, you know, and like every, I think every time you take a deeper awareness, there's like one more layer deeper. Right? Totally. And then I, there's like another layer. layer oh, it never deeper. stops. That's, like, why I'm, that's why I'm, I'm skeptical of gurus. Skeptical of people that are done. Yeah. I'm like, hmm. Hmm. I feel like you might be more lost than anybody. Because <laughs> as you go deeper into the layers, I think the layers just become almost like more and more abundant in a way. It's like fractals. Yeah. You know, and depending on how you approach, it can be kind of more like a hydra kind of thing where you like, you chop them off with through and then like other heads come, come yeah. jutting out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. My fear has been, I think living a life, I've been like afraid to love over the last probably like 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think in large part what that is, is like not feeling worthy of love. Mm. And, you know, so you can only love as much as you can, you know, feel worthy to be loved. Yeah, you know, it's like a it's like a relationship there. Yeah, and that's something that I think that I've been like, if I were to die tonight, for example, which is like you know, there's like a one in whatever chance that this is absolutely the last conversation I'll have. You know, yeah. that's what I got. This is the way, how I think about death, which is like again, it's I think it's probably strange for a lot of people, but like, it's like regular. At least I'll have like breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'll have like morning <laughs> contemplation of death. Ap- <laughs> But not in a dark way. Not like I, I don't think there's anything dark about yeah. that. Like I think we could. I think Western culture could use a reframe on death. Yeah. You know where it's like not that I'm the guy to reframe it, but you know I think that death could be. You know, it's just transitioning out of this physical form. Yeah. You know, it's death. It's kind of like the sexuality subject where it's kind of like something that's pushed under the rug. You know, yeah. we're kind of like, oh no, we don't talk about death. Like at some point we'll address that, and we're like, oh fuck, like you know, grandma died. You know, yeah. or like my friend died in you know middle school or whatever. It's like, how do I address this? If you grew up in a culture where it was a more common thing, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally fine to talk about birth, you know. But to get into death stuff, it's like, oh, dude, you're harsh and mellow. Really what are you talking yeah. about? It's like, 
dude, in actuality, death might be way more beautiful than birth. Like yeah. birth, it's like bloody and painful and you're screaming and there's doctors with blue lights shining in and then there's a fucking chop the cord and then more blood like, and juice and it probably smells funny. And like, whoa, like, oh my God, birth, like, whoa. Like we yeah. should be tripping out about birth if we're going to, I mean, don't trip out about birth at all, but death. Yeah. You know, it's like the last gasp of a person before they probably go into some light, you know, and actually feel what I've heard. I was watching this thing about death recently. It was a Netflix documentary and it was, I think it was about like God or spirituality, death, right? But it started off with this guy talking about his experience. He was like held underwater for like 13 minutes and essentially it was like real dead. And then he got pulled out and like revived and all that stuff. And during that time he said, he was looking up into this light, kind of like this like blue LED that we're looking up to now. And he said he saw, uh, he said it was like, they were drawing the conversation from a theater. I think it was with Danny Glover. Is Danny Glover the black guy that's got yeah. like talks like God? Is that right? No, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Morgan Freeman, thank you. Yeah. Who's Danny Glover? It doesn't matter. Lethal uh, Weapon. Lethal Weapon. <laughs> <laughs> so tired. And they're in a cathedral. It's kind of like the, the cathedral, but it's like these you know trillions of lights coming down, like the most beautiful lights ever. And he said during that time of his death in the ocean, he felt access to this sensation of like being held by love greater than any relationship that he'd ever experienced in human form. And I'm like, dope. Wow. First of all, it sounds a lot like DMT. Yeah. But have you have you ever tried DMT? Did yeah. Did you I, have similar experience at all? I did five MEO DMT, mm -hmm. and it, I mean it was a blast through the universe. And it was like, did you feel a sensation of like greater love than what you've experienced ever? A little bit, a little bit. That was my first psychedelic I've ever done. Okay. And I, it was like, it sent me to a world where I was like, it was all consciousness and all stars, and like in this portal of like, how far can I let go and. Mm. It was, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it was amazing. I would be curious to try it again at some point. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I had a, I had a similar type experience, just like that part of feeling like, oh, okay, this is the first time I've ever felt love. Yeah. Like, I've never permitted myself to actually experience love before this moment of being, like, blasted open by this, yeah. you know, toad pus stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean... I I would say like doing five grams of mushrooms, like going going through an ego death, mm -hmm. like that was like if that's what death is like, I'll be. I was like, wow, yeah, amazing. like it right. was blissful love and just beautiful, yeah, just this beautiful. And so that's so that's the 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 weird, strange irony of our relationship to death. And I say ours, like you know, Western culture uh, relationship to death may very well be literally one of the most beautiful experiences of your life, you know, but we don't yeah. talk about it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's this, and then when it happens, oh man, we fucking close the casket and we put embalming fluid over <laughs> the body and we yeah. spend thousands of dollars of protecting our fragile living eyes from seeing this experience. Like, what the, f what? Yeah. <laughs> You're well, like, what are we doing yeah. here? Like, how could we not be sick <laughs> if that's our relationship with this inevitable experience yeah. that may very well be, like, you know, one of the more beautiful experiences of your life? Yeah. Somebody was telling me that 
like Steve Jobs' last words was, oh, wow, like right before he went. Cool. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, that was my, I had a, like a really, do you know Aubrey Marcus? We talked about him, I think, last yeah, time. Yeah, I met him a couple times at Lewis's house. All right, so we, we talked about it before on his podcast of like, we did a psilocybin journey. Like as a group, it was like kind of like a men's circle thing. And I got just very psychedelic. And during the time frame, almost all I was able to utter for about the span of like three hours was wow. <laughs> and that was like the summation of like life. I was like, that's it. <laughs> I'm like, what is the grand summation of like this whole human experience? Oh man. Like one of the potential options would be looking over your your whole life since getting popped out of your, or even since your parents were banging each other, or you're, you know, you're <laughs> like a you know, thought, you're glinting your dad's eye, or whatever that phrase goes, you know, or the history of your grandparents, or, you know, because that's all you. Yeah. You're not this Nick Onkins, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're all of it. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. for you to be able to step back for a moment and just watch this little blip called Nick. Yeah. You know, like the only thing you could look back from a more omnipotent kind of knowing perspective, <laughs> you'd be looking down and just be like, oh, wow. You know, like yeah. that was, wow. A beautiful experience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was like my, a few of my mushroom journeys were just like, I was just like literally, wow. <laughs> like yeah. it, literally it was, it was that. It was yeah. so beautiful. And then so the question is how do we, because that's sometimes what people that are more pro or more maybe like uh, less liberal with like the usage of psychedelics or things like that, they would kind of belittle that experience of like wow. Hmm. So my question is like, okay, what do we take from that wow? You know, what's how do we integrate that wow into our daily existence or non-psychedelic existence to actually improve ourselves and the world and our relationships and all that. Yeah. Because I think that's a big thing. If yeah. you just like, you know, eat the blue pill and you say wow for three hours and you like lick the yeah. window and you're like, oh my God, like I saw Jesus or whatever. Yeah. It's like, that's cool. But like, yeah. where do we go from there? You got to go out and like create, create life and create the moments. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Anyways. Mm. Well, we should probably wrap this up, huh? Wrap this bitch up. What? How long was that? Dude, we're, we're an good. hour and a half over here. Oh, That's great. Pretty good. But, oh, fun. Uh, yeah, where can people find you on the interwebs? The interwebs. So I host a podcast called The Align Podcast. That's yeah. been, I've been doing that for, you've been doing yours for five years. Yeah. That's crazy. crazy. So you and I were just some random spermazoa five years ago. <laughs> and we're like, we're going to start a podcast. That's funny. Why did you start yours in the first place? You know, Lewis had me on his podcast, like, episode 38 or something like that. And yeah. I was like, it was a lot of fun. I yeah. have a lot of good friends. I should interview them. That's great. Yeah. Cool. And here I am. So was Lewis an inspiration to do it then? Was he like, you should do a podcast or no? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, definitely inspiration. I mean, and this was his early days of doing it. He was figuring, trying to figure out what he was doing. Yeah. And he was like, you should do one. I was like, yeah, maybe I will. Cool. I will. That's here great. we are. <laughs> yeah, you had a big jump start on me. I was just living in like little Bend, Oregon, seeing clients and decided to like get a Blue Yeti microphone and strap it to my laptop and reach out to random people on the internet and see if they would talk to me. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. My first mic was like this little, probably like less than a Blue Yeti. It was like this little, like it looked like a little... Like a snowball or something? A little egg. Oh, okay. Egg. Yeah, oh, I think I, know, I think I know yeah. this egg as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so so started that a while ago, and that's been an interesting journey of sorts. And then uh, the book, the Align Method, is anywhere people give a dang about books. No, um, the gram. You on the gram? Gram. Align. Po- Everything's at Align Podcast. Okay. Oh, Align Instagram. Podcast. So Instagram's Align Podcast. People can. We also have an online program that has a seven-day free trial. That's essentially the addendum or the digital version of the book. Oh, cool. So if you're more of like a video instructional, you want to actually go through and break down. It's broken down to a six-week program, so it gets into like lifestyle and morning routine and nighttime routine and self-care and movement, and all that stuff. That's all at AlignPodcast.com as well. But the book would be a great starting point. The Align Amazing. the Align Method book. Sweet. Well, uh, thanks again. Thank uh, you, dude. What a fun conversation. That was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. We went into all sorts of weird shit. Yeah. I thought we were going to talk about hip hinging. I never even said hip hinging. Yeah. Well, you just did, so. We got got a little. (laughs) It's a pleasure, my friend. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And uh, if you enjoyed today's episode with Aaron Alexander, you got some valuable information. I would love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over on Apple Podcasts. That just gets gets us up in the ratings, shows the uh, podcast to more people, and spreads the word. The goal is to make a dent in the universe in whatever way we can over here. So that would be super helpful. If you want to share the episode on any of your social channels, you can link up neonradio.com slash EP182, where you can find the show notes as well if there's any links that we talked about you can go over there and find them too so that you know what time it is it's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment and we'll see you next time (laughs) 